again for Two Girls, One Podcast, a show that, if it were a sneaker, would definitely have Velcro laces. And now, here are the hosts who definitely jump higher when wearing their Air Jordans, Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm Allie. I'm Lindsay. And we are your hosts for Two Girls, One Podcast. Here to explore the internet with you once again. Great. <laughs> well, actually, my breaking update is that I haven't contacted my new boyfriend, Nick. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Well, number one, you just got to reach out, my friend. And I mean, I could give you some cool facts about Northern Kentucky, which is right next to Ohio, which you now know. Go on. Give me some fun facts. Well, you know, the Mammoth Caves are really cool. I actually don't know where in what part of the state they are, but they're a very cool set of underground caves. It's I think it's the largest underground cave network in the world. And it's right there in Kentucky. And you Mm. should go and visit the park there, Mammoth Caves National Park. It's very beautiful. You and Nick can go camping there. Oh, my God. That would be an epic first date. Truly, it would. Also, how I potentially get murdered. (laughs) Yeah, don't go on a first (laughs) date to the woods, y'all. This is not actually. (laughs) I do have a story. Remember how I said that I have a friend who's dating a murderer? Oh, (laughs) How could uh, we forget? That's, I think about it every day. They're engaged. (laughs) Oh! Are you dead inside? Did it kill you? Oh, my God. Are you Honestly, so Honestly, the jokes write themselves. You know, ball and chain, one prison to the next, tying the knot. I mean, it's out of control. <laughs> They've known each other for less than a year. And I'm just like, uh, you could meet. I mean, Nick and this I. This is like I'm a straight sorry, up Nick, dirty we're John. not going to get engaged within a year. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't know a person. I well, mean, never I mean, say never. Well, listen, sometimes people too, do get engaged very quickly and it's absolutely totally fine and you know years later they're still together but when the guy has been in prison for 25 years i feel like just wait a little you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. have you gotten in a fight how many fights have you gotten in what type of fights are there? You know, you know what i mean like i just some some couples never fight my my grandparents never fought okay that's also something to learn yeah you know i just (laughs) (laughs) but here's the thing have you seen dirty john or listen to the podcast? No. no. Go Cross on. promotion right here. Dirty John is about this like Cross, very... are they going to promote us? <laughs> well, Dirty Go John, on. the podcast, I think is is over. But anyway, um, you could still hire us, Linda Lowy, to be on the show at some point. There you know. There you go. Right. Um, but... No. So Dirty John is about this guy who is a con man. He gets out of prison. He immediately seduces this very beautiful woman into like marrying him within two months of meeting him. She has no idea that he, she met him like weeks after he got out of prison for the second or third time that he is like not a doctor. Like she thinks he's a doctor. It's all this kind of crazy stuff. And at least, at least, at least this guy's been up front. This guy's been up front about it. You know, he's yeah. like, Hey, what up? I'm a murderer. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I can't even, I'm going to leave okay. that there. Yeah. 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 That's okay. So that's what's going on. What's going on with you, Lindsay? 
I am still recovering from, you know, keeping 122 children mostly alive um, in Santa Barbara <laughs> mm-hmm. for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been gearing up for the Olympics. Yes, I know the International Olympic Committee is a big, huge problem full of old white men who are policing women's bodies, especially black women in Africa. But beyond that. Wow, it's fun to watch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I am very excited to see things like Shelly Ann Price, who is a mother, run faster than any woman in the world right now, which is very, very exciting, Mm. except for maybe Shikari Richardson, who I think might run faster than her. Anyway, it will be very cool to see a woman who is a mother win gold medals for running, which is definitely going to happen. There are three women that I'm following, and I won't you know, go beyond that. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price is the only non-American one, so like... What up, Jamaica? But there are also three American women who are mothers who are running in the Olympics, which is very, very badass. That is extremely badass. And also, how do you have time for that? I I mean, training is so, like, I'm so fascinated. You got to have, like, the support system has got to be out of control for this to work. And like, like where, like, the grandparents are taking the kids and it's. And yeah, like partners, grandparents, like you, it's got a little, it's literally got to take a village because yeah. you got to be <laughs> training and running, like all the time, like regulating what you eat. So like mm. there's, yeah. there's, there's probably households, like there's definitely two meals in this household, you know, where it's like mom's eating her Olympic food and we're all eating burgers, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> there, it's, it's got to, I can't imagine how challenging yeah. it is. Yeah. But now when you say that you are following these women, Mm -hmm. how do you keep up with them? Because they're very fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, Matt. Oh, Matt. (laughs) Well, basically what I do is after my very mediumly um, tiring days, I fall asleep watching these women do amazing things on YouTube in in my comfort of my bed. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Do they ever stream or do stuff on social media where it's like, hey, I'm doing my workout, everyone follow along? Like, is that, are they influencers in that way or, or not really? Um, mostly they're like business women. Like, I also yeah. watch Simone Biles' videos and stuff. Like, Simone has. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> she has her own TV show now. Naomi Osaka has her own TV show on Netflix. I'm like really promoting, like, what up, all black women? I'm promoting you. <laughs> Allison Williams has a new, like, clothing line partnership because Nike did her dirty. We're about to talk about Nike a lot, but Nike did her dirty when she was like, look, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. And they're like, do these promotions. I don't know. It was a lot of bad stuff. So she left them. Basically they just like to quote her, they were beyond disrespectful to her. And she left Nike, like the, the gold standard of, of athletic sponsorships. She left Nike as a four-time Olympian and she went to Athleta and they have a partnership and she's doing like a whole new line with them. So, you know, I'm following that lightly. Um, Ooh, I like that. It's very that. cool. It's very cool. Yeah. There's a I lot guess of cool they stuff. They know they're the gold, the gold standards. They, they thought they can get away with anything. Yeah, exactly. But that's she not was like, quite the world uh, we live in nowadays. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's well, like, yeah. Um, I got that mom strength now. I'm strong enough to leave you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that segues very nicely into what we were talking about today, which we haven't mentioned yet. So you said, you know, Nike, we're, we're looking at sneakerheads, which is a very large community 
of people who fucking love sneakers. Uh, obviously a big IRL component, but with the internet, um, and I will learn more, but I think eBay, there was really a, the rise of the resale market. And there's just all kinds of sneakerhead activities now that we're going to look into with our guest. Yeah. So, Matt, do you have trivia for us about sneakers? Hey, Matt Silverman here. I'm the producer. Thanks for introducing mm-hmm. me. It's just yeah. so weird mm-hmm. that yeah. every since Jen had a baby, I never get introduced <laughs> on the show anymore. I think it yeah. has to do with I'm me not because correlating I, those things. I don't <laughs> think about you like that, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> you know. I just like to I just think it's good if like we woman explain some things to Matt, maybe talk over him mm-hmm. and just like, you know, just generally not give him space. I think that's really positive. <laughs> you know, Matt, it's not like we don't want you here. Mm-hmm. It's just that we want you to find go. where you leave. can fit in better. Like, dude, what, what are you doing to help yourself get introduced? You know? <laughs> so you're saying I should be more assertive? No, definitely not. Oh. Okay, got Nobody it. Okay. likes that in but a man. maybe okay. we could give you a training. We could make you, you know, you could stay late for a training that teaches you how to speak up maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then the women can just like leave early and go to the bar. Um, yeah. Anyway, so cool, cool, cool. Trivia? We're talking about sneakers today and in the 1990s, perhaps you've heard Ooh. of them, uh, a little old company called... Them. Right? It was it was some good times in the 90s. Uh, a company called Nike, uh, a little indie shoe line, had a line of sneakers called Nike Decades. Unfortunately, mm. they were discontinued. And because <gasps> of that rarity, in recent years, a new good condition pair of Nike Decades can go for like $6,000 on eBay. I, this was probably around 2017. I don't know if pandemic pricing has made that better or worse, but these are very sought after shoes. The question is, why are these sneakers rare and why were they discontinued in the 1990s? I have three choices for you. A, Nike Decades were worn by Monica Lewinsky during the Bill Clinton scandal and were repeatedly brought up as evidence during the impeachment, which casted a (laughs) negative light on the brand. So Nike discontinued them. That is choice A. They don't go with that iconic beret. So I'm going to skip that one. (laughs) B, Nike Decades were beloved by Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, and were mentioned at least three times in his manifesto, Nike immediately discontinued them. Wow, this is very, very 90s. I love this. Yes, yes. Or was it C, Nike decades were worn by every member of the Heaven's Gate cult? (gasps) Oh my God. If you remember, they all were in a house or something together. They took their own lives in a mass suicide, believing that they would board a UFO trailing behind the Hale-Bopp comet. Uh, and the shoes were constantly appearing in news reports on dead bodies in every broadcast. Nike immediately discontinued the line after the mass suicide, which is the real reason these sneakers are so valuable today. As usual, there's the trivia itself, and then there's what the fuck is wrong with Matt's brain mm-hmm. that he right? came up with the incorrect ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yikes and a half, Matt. <laughs> um, okay. Um, wow. I'm I... gonna go with B, because C is so dark. 
Yeah, C is so I'm gonna go with C because I hope that Matt didn't think of that one. Okay, okay. I like I like both ends of those strategies. We will find out <laughs> the correct answer about Nike decades after this commercial break. All right. The starting lineup for our Patreon page. But people contributing at the $10 or more level is performing quite nicely. Oh, there's a bounce pass from Chris Harrison. And then Jerry Duran took the ball. And then there's a layup from Jessica Fox. And a, a dribble from Melissa Elliott. Straight into a no-look pass from James Dozier. And then um, Deborah Duber pants took it. Oh, wow. Look at that. Straight going really hard in the paint from Kathy Phillips, and it's into the basket. Uh, uh, great job, William. There is a three-pointer from Matthew Scott. And bringing it home, doing sport things is Wesley Cordell. If you want to be a part of this team, you can. All you have to do is contribute at the $10 or more level. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. entitled shave my back and i'll pay hunters creek in orlando florida from the website that works just like task rabbit but shadier craigslist.org i'm looking for a girl to shave my back I'll pay. Honestly, kudos to that guy, but I suggest laser because then you're just done. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mm. you don't have to like keep trying to find somebody to help you out. Yeah. I mean, shaving, that's like you need someone every three days. I mean, (laughs) yeah, he should really be getting it waxed. I think. No, laser, laser. Six sessions, you're done for life. But I support him because like women are expected to do fucking everything. And the number of dudes who have back hair, I'm like, dude, I, I lasered my legs. I'm like a fucking dolphin. It is not natural. (laughs) I am a hairy Jew. You could laser your fucking back. Well, so you okay. never shave your leg. It's done forever. I lasered my legs like a decade ago, and it was the best money I've ever wow. spent. Okay, yeah. I have so little leg hair that I just like forget about it, and then all of a sudden I'm like, "My name's whoa, Lindsay, whoa, and whoa. I'm naturally perfect." I'm just no, no, girl. I'm just saying I forget about it, and then it's like, "Ooh, there's a lot of like, there's like eight really long hairs. It looks crazy." <laughs> Cool. Uh, I think it's time for the trivia answers. Nike discontinued uh, a line of sneakers called Nike Decades or or Nike Decade. I think it's Decades. Uh, And I gave you three choices. Nobody chose A, that that there was a a pair of these sneakers in evidence with the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton scandal slash impeachment. Nobody chose that. B, Nike decades were beloved and worn by Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. Allie, you chose that one. Mm-hmm. Lindsay chose C. Nike decades were worn by every member of the Heaven's Gate cult and the mass suicide that followed. I mean, I think it's B, but I'm going to stick with my answer. Okay. <laughs> I think that's okay. good. Diversify. Okay. Great. Yeah. The correct answer is C. Oh my 
my God. I knew Matt wasn't so crazy. I knew wow. it. I was like, you oh know my what? God. That's a good reason Matt to choose it. Is he it's too like crazy? That or Matt's a total psycho. Too much. Yeah. Too much. Yeah, too much. it's yeah. too crazy. That's, that's, that's it's correct. It's too crazy. Yeah. Finally, I won one. Yeah. <laughs> Sneakerheads, at least as wow. of 2017, which was, this was covered in Vice, uh, sneakerheads were really hot on these shoes. And unknown, you know, if people are fascinated by the the goriness and the creepiness of this, or, or literally like these were like hot shoes that stopped being made and the, therefore are just rare. Uh, we're selling on eBay for at least uh, just over six thousand dollars as of 2017, uh, and uh, that's pretty. Interesting. I just looked it up. They're currently twelve fifty, twelve hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, all right. So that might have softened uh, over time. Um, I, I don't know that there was any sort of like religious significance, but apparently, what happened with Heaven's Gate was every member in preparation for the transcendence which was just i guess taking you know taking a pill and dying was everyone had to wear the same clothes it was like black black pants uh some sort of shirt that all matched and these shoes and i think it was just like these are the shoes that we had at the time and Mm -hmm. everyone put them on so took a pill and went to sleep and then late the next day on the news these shoes were everywhere Everywhere. and they were nike was like that was a very bad tragedy we will no longer be making these. Nike kind of decades, yeah. the choice of cults for decades. <laughs> Some of the comments on this article were like, it seems like these shoes are a real cult classic now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. Yikes and a half. Wow. Wow. Life is fascinating. Mm. Didn't. Everybody didn't die though. Didn't like some kids get out? Like their parents were like, "Get out!" Interesting. And the kids didn't uh, die. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't didn't read back on the whole story. That I think, sounds like, like a everyone, wormhole to go down. Yeah, I know. everyone it's who took upsetting. the pact and and did the drugs, I think, were were, were well, done for. But but maybe there were some who were saved before the the final moment. Did, I, I don't and, know. The, and the leader died as well. Is that true? Yes, it was all okay. like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we're all going up to alien heaven. Get ready." Wow. Let's so do you think it. they like really believed it? They uh, must they're dead about it, so I hope they believed it. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, like that the really... leader went too, you know what I mean? Because sometimes it's like the leader doesn't believe it and he's just exploiting sure. other people like right. Keith Rainier or whatever. But right, wow. Right. Yeah. I mean, cults are so wild. Um, if you're interested, you can check out our episode on QAnon where we also spoke with Rick Ross, the cult deprogrammer. So wow. wild. Awesome interview. Awesome yeah. interview, man. That whole episode was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's still blowing my mind. I mean, the Q <laughs> stuff is still alive and well, which is wild. Like, how many times do your prophecies need to go unfulfilled for you to stop <laughs> believing? It's Truly, wild. It could be they. Some things will never deter anyone. Like the truth cannot interfere with some people's beliefs. It just yeah, can't. and I think that is yeah. I think that's a really succinct, great way of saying it. And it's so scary. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, on that really uplifting note, I think it's time for our interview. All right, friends, it is time to welcome today's guest, co-founder of StockX, which is the largest marketplace for collectibles like handbags and most notably sneakers. Let's all welcome Josh Luber. Good morning. That was amazing. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. 
Let's kick it off. What are the top sneakerhead slang terms we need to know? Uh, buy and sell. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. Okay, you know, Josh, no. don't underestimate me as a woman. I knew that one. Okay, <laughs> what's the next one? There's not a whole lot of really uh, unique word. I will say the one thing that hangs people up, or at least takes a second look, is is dead stock. So dead stock is a term which actually doesn't mean what it means, but it means brand new. Oh, dead stock comes from the idea of, of shoes that were no longer produced. And you would help, happen to find a whole bunch of dead stock shoes that were sitting in, in the back of some old warehouse uh, for years. So it actually almost means the inverse. But today in, in sneaker head world, and if you were to go on to StockX and buy a pair of shoes, and it'll say dead stock, that means that it is 100% brand new, never been worn. Do you have a dog with you in your hotel room? No, that was, that was you. No, that was me. Oh, that's I'm Lindsay. Sorry. All right, because Lindsay lives Klaus. with three dogs. I should have known that. No, <laughs> this is how dumb I am, Josh. Lindsay has three dogs. Of course it's Lindsay. Uh-huh. I just thought Lindsay had her shit together. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay has no dogs. Lindsay has two lesbian roommates, and they have three dogs. <laughs> I have a dog, and he barks a lot, but he's not here, so we're, we're good. There you go. Aww. Do you miss him? It's okay. Lindsay has three. You can have one. Okay. Wait. Does your dog, do you have sneakers for your dog? Like, do you have Jordans for your dog? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. That's important. No, I have a, I have a toy poodle. He's like eight pounds. Um, so you would have to have some, some super tiny dog uh, shoes. I think you should look into that. Super <laughs> tiny sneakers. Uh-huh. Actually, maybe your next startup should be sneakers for dogs. Are you loving this interview? Has this been really helpful for you? Are you just yeah, I'm ta- are you taking I'm ta- notes? I'm taking notes. Sneakers for <laughs> cool, dogs. Cool, cool. Got we it, want got 10%. <laughs> 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 All right. What, <laughs> what is a sneaker head? Uh, I mean, just, you know, somebody that, that loves sneakers. I think that that term uh, for a while, there was some sort of people didn't, didn't, didn't like that or uh, it became a, I don't want to say a derogatory term, but it became a, a term that sneakerheads themselves started to rebel against, you know, maybe about five, six, I don't know, 10 years ago. The reality is it's a pretty easy shorthand of saying, you know, just like somebody who loves sneakers. Oh, why did they rebel against it? I think that it, it, it started to be used as sneakers were becoming much more mainstream. Like sneakers, like any part of culture, started as a very small underground thing. And it was sort of our own thing. And then it became a little bit more and a little bit more. And and anytime small underground pieces of culture, you know, blow up and become part of mainstream culture, you have some people that can rebel against it. And I think that the term sneakerhead was one of those that was sort of like easily labeled by a lot of reporters and and uh, and articles and stuff like that, but actually, I think it's a good shorthand for 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 sneaker aficionados, which is obviously way longer to say. Ah, okay. And where did it come from? Because you know, you don't put sneakers on your head. I'm I'm just kind of maybe lost in that. Lindsay, with the hard facts here. <laughs> I, I I really don't know. I really oh. don't know. That is a good that is a good question. I think it makes sense, right? Like I love Harry Potter, so I'm a I'm a Potterhead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, just like <laughs> I, I, I feel like yeah. I I don't think it's unique to sneakers. How many sneakerheads <laughs> do you think there are just out there in the ether? Well, the irony of that question and what you just said is I almost feel like the the distinction between sort of sneakerhead and just person who buys sneakers has almost entirely gone away. And that is at least some part to to StockX, where we've just made it easier for anybody to be able to buy any pair of sneakers. And so, you know, StockX, as it grew, we went from servicing that like hardcore sneakerhead customer that you would think of these people that are sort of diehard crazy for sneakers to becoming a mainstream site where anybody that wears any footwear or frankly, if they wear, you know, 
hoodies or want handbags or watches or anything else. It's almost it's almost blurred the line between what is the sneakerhead market or the secondary or resale market for sneakers and what is the retail market. And as those two things blur the line, you can't even distinguish to your question between the people anymore of, of how many sneakerheads there are. But you know, StockX has I don't even know what it is anymore, but it, it's probably over 10 million users. So there's a whole lot of people that that buy a whole lot of sneakers. The hardcore sneakerheads. What is the average number of sneakers that a hardcore sneakerhead has? And how many sneakers do you have? All right. So I have about 400 pairs, give or take. Wow. That number is obviously uh, a lot. It is nowhere near the like pantheon of big sneaker collections. I mean, there's many, many people that have thousands of pairs. But also, I think it's very much a, a function of as you grow up and you have more disposable income and you can buy more shoes, right? I mean, I didn't have 400 shoes when I was 14 years old and a diehard sneakerhead, but um, I also had a lot more you know, disposable income now than I do then. So I kind of, you know, you build that collection over time. By the way, I don't, uh, I don't think that number is going to grow too much more uh, over the years. I buy at this point, you know, maybe, you know, three, four five pairs a year. It's a lot different than, you know, the last five years. Have you worn all of these or are you planning to not wear most of them? Well, so I, I theoretically wear uh, would wear them all. But with 400 pairs of shoes, there's just many that I haven't gotten around to wearing yet. Because that's more shoes than days in a year. <laughs> because, exactly. And sometimes you look up and you you bought a pair and you say, oh man, I haven't worn that in, in three years. And so maybe I didn't actually want it. Hmm. And when I sell shoes, it's usually a function of that. I wouldn't consider myself a, a reseller. I'm not actively buying to sell, but I do sell shoes on occasion. And it is that. It is like, hey, I bought this pair of shoes or someone gave me this pair of shoes. And I look up three years later and I've still never even worn it. So maybe I'll sell it and buy something else I'd rather have. Okay. We have been talking about shoes and your shoes. And, you know, we watched your TED Talk. So we know that Jordans are the main genesis of this whole culture. How did that come to be the case? And then also, how many Jordans do you have? It's funny because I have the exact same story as almost every sneakerhead anywhere close to my age. I'm 43 years old. Um, I grew up playing basketball when Jordan played. I always wanted Air Jordans. My mother would never buy me Air Jordans. As soon as I got some money after my first job, I bought a pair of Air Jordans. Like we all have the exact same story because we grew up in a time when you know Air Jordans were the first hundred dollar shoes, and it was absolutely insane that a pair of shoes cost a hundred dollars. And it was also the height of you know Nike uh, marketing and Nike advertising in, in the Air Jordan days with Spike Lee, and then all of Nike basketball and, and Nike uh, the kind of Nike marketing machine at a time when. And, you know, there wasn't the internet. So the amount of content you had was so much more limited. So when the Air Jordan commercial came on TV, it was literally uh, everybody run into the room to watch it. So we all grew up in that era. And what's interesting to look back now is almost every sneakerhead near in my generation either came out that way through basketball or through skateboarding. And at the time, those are two very distinct groups of people. And now I think it's much more converged. But, you know, for me, it was basketball. Um, and honestly, I didn't wear Air Jordans or any basketball shoes off of the court until, I don't know, probably 10 years, you know, 15 years after I, I, um, I stopped playing competitive basketball because it was awkward. I felt like basketball shoes were more performance shoes. So I don't know, I have, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 pairs of Jordans, something like that. And most of them are Jordan 1s, which are of the, all the Air Jordans, the ones that are the least bulky, big, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of easier to wear, uh, just like sort of walking around the street. I have like one pair of Jordans that I literally wore into the ground and I still get compliments on them, even though they're like scuffed and crazy looking. But I 
am wondering what the gender breakdown is of people who like get to be known as sneakerheads or, or, or collectors. The sneaker industry for sure is is uh, is heavily male. I do think that the percentage of female sneakerheads has increased significantly over the past ten years, and I think that's twofold. Or there's there's two reasons for that. One. Uh, I think Nike and the, and the other brands um, have done a lot better job of making shoes for women rather than just women's size shoes, um, which is how a lot of it used to be. They used to just sort of make the same shoes they're making for men and make them smaller or, or you know, in pink colorway. Um, so they've, they've done better. And then having females, you know, design shoes and have high profile females design shoes, designers, not just athletes, but designers. And the other is is content. You have a lot more females participating in the sneaker content as in the beginning, the sneaker content was very, very limited. I mean, it was just two or three blogs and, and most of them were really just focused on what are pictures of sneakers and when are they coming out? And that was about it. And that's obviously we're in a, in a much different place right now. Well, that segues wonderfully to our next question. Thank you so much. So in your TED Talk, you also mentioned that the sneaker industry has thrived just as much on the street as online. I think those were your words. So can you tell us about that and how it began to explode online? Well, there's four really big kind of like seminal like shifts or moments in sneakers. So the first is 1985, which is the first era of Jordans. And, and we just talked a lot about Jordans. That kind of created everything. But it was at a time where obviously it's pre-internet. So everything was very local. Um, sneakers were still very much like an underground sort of um, a private sort of thing. The second major shift was 1999, 2000, the internet, eBay. Now, everybody could have access to shoes that they didn't have access before. And really, that's this whole story is just about access. You know, people who want to acquire products that are hard to acquire. It used to be that, that people would fly all over the world to try to, to get shoes because this pair released just in Japan and nowhere else. And it was pre-internet. So how else were you going to get it? The third major shift was 2011, 2012, which is social media. It's Instagram. You know, Facebook had just bought Instagram. Instagram was going through its own hockey stick growth. And now it allowed all sneakerheads to basically see what everyone else is wearing and show off their own shoes. Like all sneakerheads ever really cared about is seeing what other people are wearing, sharing off their shoes and getting access to, to buy and sell those shoes. So now Instagram allowed everyone to do that globally and at scale. And the fourth bit major moment to be somewhat biased is StockX and the other you know, marketplaces. It made it easy to be able to buy and sell it. So all of those things are just a continuing widening of access and information, which is the story of the internet, basically. And so it's not not surprising that that's evolved very much in the same way. That was a great, lovely, succinct rundown. Thank you. Seriously, a lot of people go on forever. You know what I mean? Okay, so <laughs> like myself. Anyway, mm -hmm. where are people discussing the best sneakers? Where are they hanging out online? Where are they chatting? Where are they discussing trends? Like, is this on Discord? Is this on Reddit now? Like, what's going on? It was much cooler, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when the content online was way more limited. And there was one site that really was the, the gold standards. The site was called Nike Talk. And Nike Talk was very like old school, you know, discussion boards, sort of like web 1.0 as, as it comes. And a lot of very famous designers and celebrities and other uh, people who we now know to be famous sneakerheads were in the chat a long time ago. It's evolved, obviously, tremendously. Sneaker Twitter is a pretty live part. You know, Instagram, it's like everywhere else. There's Discord. It, now it, it's everywhere. I mean, it really is everywhere. The, the largest media company around this is probably Complex. 
and the complex networks have many different different websites, including you know they've purchased a company, a blog called Soul Collector, which used to be a standalone site. And these are you know just some of kind of the historic sneaker blogs that have been around for since, since the beginning of blogging. That's pretty cool. I I want to know who are some of the biggest or maybe not even like the most well known, but the most compelling online like stories in your opinion. Like the personalities that that got, you know, big. Ooh, also, is there a GameStop situation <laughs> where people like drove up the price of sneakers? I think that's every sneaker for at least the first two months they come out. Interesting. Well, the, the GameStop, the, the implication of the GameStop <laughs> situation is is they driving up price of sneakers that aren't actually worth um, what they're worth. Yeah. I don't know about that. I do think that you have a, a pretty established culture and, and marketplace around the resale of sneakers. And the core idea that people accept now that just because Nike is selling a pair of shoes for a hundred bucks, you know, 150 bucks, doesn't mean that that's the actual value of that shoe. And you have many, many, many shoes that that have this scenario where you know Nike sells a pair of, of Travis Scott Air Jordans and Nike sells it for 150 hours, but immediately at the exact same time that shoe is selling for two thousand dollars on StockX. And if you have that scenario, it doesn't matter what the product is that it's worth $2,000, but someone is selling it for $150, that creates all the hysteria. That creates people sleeping outside of Foot Locker. That creates people trying to write uh, scripts and, and buy bots to be able to buy you know things online. Like who wouldn't buy any widget that's worth $2,000 that is sold for $150? And like that's kind of the whole story is this mismatch in supply and demand that the brands Nike and Adidas and, and everyone else are very good at creating. And so it gets into to your question in terms of the people or the personalities. A lot of the, the people that aren't famous for other reasons, right? So for example, Jerry Seinfeld is a very notable sneakerhead or John Mayer or... Spike Lee. Yeah, or Spike Lee, right? But the people that aren't famous for other reasons, a lot of them come to fame for access to sneakers, right? Like there's this kid who, he's not 16 anymore, but he kind of came to fame when he was like 15, 16 years old named Benjamin Kicks, who was like a, this like 15 year old kid in Miami. Wait, is that his real last name? No, okay. no, I don't know what his real real last name is. Okay, <laughs> uh, but he, uh, which would be ironic, of course, that he uh, he kind of sort of came to fame for being like the sneaker plug for like DJ Khaled and Migos and like all these like celebrity like rappers, right? And so like access to product has always been the through line of all of this. Whereas everybody wants access to products that are that are high demand and, and worth a lot of money. All right, so we got Benjamin Kicks. Is there anybody else like that would be interesting to? find out about or follow maybe even? Uh, I don't, I mean, like the, the reality of the convergence of sneakerhead culture into sort of mainstream sneaker culture is there is no more lack of, of access, right? You can, whether it's StockX or other marketplaces or even, you know, sneaker stores around, you can get these, these products anywhere. So I don't know, I don't know if there's, there's really people that, that come out there that aren't, that aren't already famous for other reasons, right? Like Seinfeld is, is much more interesting for a whole lot of other reasons than the fact that Go back and look at all the like shows episodes of Seinfeld. Like he's wearing all like original Jordans in in a lot of those episodes. Interesting, oh, interesting. Easter egg for us. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about sneaker data and how you went off the rails there and then started a company. The the starting point of of all of this is how much is that worth? And up until this, the businesses that I started. The primary means of figuring out what a pair of shoes is worth was going to eBay and searching through closed auctions or, or, or ended auctions. 
there just wasn't a very easy way to figure out what, what shoes are worth. But in a lot of other industries, you have price guys, you have uh, a different sites and, and businesses that focus on valuation. And so the first business that I built was literally a price guide for sneakers. It was a company called Campless, C-A-M-P-L-E-S-S, Campless. It was a, a play off of the fact that people camp out for, for shoes. But we were just scraping eBay data and creating a price guide. And frankly, we were just the only ones at the time doing real analytics around the sneaker market to, to create a very, very basic set of information that all sneakerheads were fundamentally interested in because you want to know what's a fair pair when you know your friend has a new pair of Jordans and says, Hey, I want to, you know, I'll sell this to you for six hundred dollars to understand what the, what the value is. So it was as, as simple of an idea as possible, but StockX as a marketplace is built on this idea of creating a stock market like function, not necessarily to invest in sneakers, and that's a, a sort of a common misconception, but to price it fairly. Like if you think about what a stock market is, the stock market is this giant pricing mechanism that tells you at any given time what is the fair price for a share of IBM stock or Nike stock, and that is is what we've done for sneakers. It created a marketplace that can tell you immediately what is the fair price for these shoes, and then you can of course buy or sell those at that fair market price. Okay, so you were talking about how the internet and the resale market has is like a democratized sort of money exchange situation. But it's still sort of driven by Nike and Adidas and, you know, I guess other sneaker brands as well. But it's driven by the fact that they're putting out limited shoes. So if they flooded the market, would it all just go to pot or would it still have some kind of other drive beyond that? Yeah, that's so that's a really important and, and good question and insight because that is the through line, right? That is the, the driving of all of this is the disparity between supply and demand. So then you ask yourself, well, is that sustainable? How does that work? You know, could Nike flood the market? What would happen? Nike can kill the value of any one shoe or even or many shoes. Um, and in fact, in like 2017-ish, they kind of killed the value of, of Air Jordans for a while. There was so much demand in 2015, 2016. They, they made so many Air Jordans that in 2017, Jordans were just sitting on shelves. And if they're sitting on shelves at Foot Locker, if anybody can walk in the store and buy it, well, now they're actually selling, going to sell for less than retail and the, the Foot Locker has to discount it to, to move them off their shelves. And that's a scenario where there's more supply than there is demand. And, and by the way, that was, it was unintentional. They weren't trying to, to kill the value of it, but it's not an exact science, right? Nike is, and the other brands have spent a lot of time trying to figure out where is that fine line because they're, they're retail companies, right? They want to sell as many shoes as they can possibly sell. So it's a fine line between trying to figure out how do we make as many as possible without making more than there is demand for. And ironically, it could happen where if you make one more shoe, you might sell 10 less, right? You might actually sell way less if you cross over that, that threshold, which of course is not a known quantity. They have to, they have to do that. So yes, they could, they could accidentally kind of destroy the value on that. However, right, they can't do it to the market as a whole because they would have to make every pair of shoes, every style of shoes, almost infinitely available. And Nike would go out of business, right? If Nike made Air Jordans and said, hey, listen, we're going to make every pair of Air Jordans available to everybody always, 
great. What will happen is the cool kids, the people that want things that are scarce, the people that want products that other people don't have, they're just going to move and go buy something else that Nike's not making a lot of. And maybe it's a shoe that nobody cares about today, but tomorrow, because it's the only one that, that Nike's not you know, overproducing, that'll become the valuable, you know, high demand shoe because people just inherently want those things that are limited or rare or have things that other people don't. So the very short answer is like Nike can kill a single shoe. They can even kill many shoes. They can't kill the whole market because they would literally put themselves out of business. And it's symbiotic. Like Nike and, and the brands, they want to have that scenario where it's hype, it's marketing, right? It creates more brand cachet and, and brand value to have shoes that sell for $2,000. So it, it's, a, it's a symbiotic thing that Nike wants to do. And it's the core of this whole thing is like that decision of what shoe they're going to make and how many they're going to produce. It, it really is like, all, it, it's everything. Nice. So what I'm hearing is that this is just like Beanie Babies. What do you think? <laughs> I think it has much broader appeal than Beanie Babies. I don't think. There, there's, there's, some, there's some similarities, right? Oh. Except for that people actually like and want sneakers. Yeah, right. The, the Beanie Baby market was... They were like trying to be sneakers. Yeah, well, it was, it, it was a supply and demand driven scenario. The problem is that it was such a flash in the pan sort of thing that... Nobody understood what the real long-term demand for Beanie Babies would be. At the moment, everyone was excited about it. But then very quickly, people were like, hold on, I don't actually want these things. Or I, I don't want to pay you know, $2,000 for this. You know? And so the, the demand was somewhat temporary and artificial. Sneakers have been around for whatever, hundreds of years. right? So the demand has slowly grown over time. And the demand is tied to things that are less likely to, to evaporate for no reason. Even when you look at celebrity-driven shoes, Travis Scott makes shoes with, with uh, Nike and Air Jordan. There's a lot of demand built in around Travis Scott. And that didn't happen overnight. Like Travis Scott has been you know, becoming more and more popular for, for decades. So it's not the sort of flash in the pan sort of thing. The demand is more baked in. And so you don't have the same, same scenario as Beanie Baby. What do you think is the allure of sneakers? It's, it's interesting because they, they hit a lot of different categories. So first of all, there's a functional aspect. There's a fashion aspect. There's an art aspect. There's a nostalgia aspect. There's a financial aspect. There's a fandom aspect. There's also a societal aspect. So it, like, it hits a lot of things. But you know, the one that's been, uh, I think, talked about the most that is most interesting is it's sort of a gateway drug into fashion into high demand, valuable consumer goods. And it's the one that is kind of like levels the playing field for a lot of people, right? Like I can't wear the same watch that, that Jay-Z wears when he has a $3 million one of one Richard Mille made, but like he's wearing Jordan 3 black cements, right? And like we can all wear Jordan 3 black cements. So that idea of kind of like leveling the playing field a little bit and being this gateway drug into all of those products is, uh, is I think maybe the most important of, of all of those things. But it really is a unique thing because it's it's functional, but also an investment and also financial and also art. It just hits a lot of different things. I'm wondering if the fact that it is like fashion is the reason why now sneaker culture is being driven by non-athletes, which is kind of wild to me. Shoes made by Kanye are as valuable as Jordan's these days. It's like everybody's looking for, I don't even know how many shoes Kanye's made at this point, but people know, I'm sure you know. I, I don't I don't know the, the number, but it's a lot. Like it's, it's made Kanye a billionaire, like it's made Yeezy, you know, on par with Jordan, as you said, which is, which is absolutely right. 
you know, Kanye is in a lot of ways kind of this generation's Jordan from a, a cultural sense. Right. That's upsetting. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll uh, leave, leave the... Um, the judgments. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the judgments about Kanye and uh, him personally and everything else aside, from a consumerism side and, and a cultural side, he is and, and has that impact from a product standpoint and sells it. And by the way, like that was kind of the defining moment in current sneaker landscape when he left Nike because Nike, at that point, Nike had never given a shoe to a non-athlete. And they did that as kind of a one-off thing. They were massively popular, the first Yeezys at Nike. And then Kanye wanted to say, okay, let's, let's make this a real business and pay me. And Nike said, well, we don't do that. We don't make you know, like whole companies or, or brands around non-athletes. And he said, okay. And he went to Adidas and they built up a massive brand. And then Nike came back and said, uh, okay, we kind of messed up there. And they've been making shoes with Drake. They've been making shoes with Travis Scott. And they continue to do that because we're, we're well beyond athletes of being the only influencers of, of sneaker culture. And I know you didn't, you were like, no, the terms are like, whatever. But there are so many sneaker terms. And what got me is like when people started saying steezy as like, that is cool. Or that's like stylish. And I'm like, wait a minute, the name of this shoe has been combined with the word stylish. And now we're saying steezy. This is insane to me. But it's just like people say it all the time. I mean, I'm 43. I don't think you're going to hear me saying steezy very much, but <laughs> good. I appreciate that. <laughs> but it is a thing that's said and like it's based off of a shoe, like language, not just like fashion, but like language is being influenced by these shoes, which is wild. Yeah. But language has always been influenced by by musicians. Yeah. Right. And and by song. So and, and I just think to your earlier point, like that distinction, like that's not how things used to be. It used to very much be athletic driven, mm -hmm. but um, but it's not anymore. Well, speaking of art and language, with a lot of the communities we cover, that is a big component. You know, they're making fan art of the thing that they love. So is that a thing with sneakerheads? Do you see that online? Like, is there a lot of fan art? Are they writing fan fiction about two sneakers falling in love? Honestly, they probably <laughs> are, even if you don't know about it. <laughs> There's porn out there of sneakers fucking each other and making a new sneaker. Well, yes, I, it's not, uh, it's not, a, I read as much. I read more of the, you know, the soft core porn sneaker stories cool. where uh, where they, they keep their laces tied um but the, <laughs> well played uh, um there's there's a, a ton of customization for shoes and the closest thing you could think to fan art um is is people customize shoes and some people have made big businesses and become celebrities in their own right by creating customization businesses in fact you asked about different people there's a uh, a guy who I'm, I'm friends with who i like and he goes by the shoe surgeon He's built a customization business where, you know, he might take a pair of Air Jordans and customize it and, and make it. I, I, I want to say that he made a shoe with, with real diamonds in it that PJ Tucker was wearing after they just won the championship. The other day. I didn't see it. I just heard a rumor about it. But the, the level of customization goes from like a kid in his basement with some like with some markers to guys that have full fledged businesses like shoe surgeon. Amazing. Looking at stock X, is there another category that really surprised you that popped off? You know, what's interesting is we started with sneakers and then we launched watches and handbags next. And, and it was more of a business decision than anything. We just figured that those were the two bigger categories, but we didn't launch streetwear until after watching the handbags. And the reality is streetwear should have been the, the category. In 11 hours after we launched streetwear, Supreme became the second largest selling product on the site after sneakers um, and has continued to, to be that way. 
And that that's kind of like backward looking. But more recently, the the sort of hottest growing market, and I'm sure you guys have been hearing more about this, is just collectibles in general, but trading cards specifically, specifically for, for me as well. Like I left StockX in September to create businesses around trading cards. I think there's a lot of similar there are a lot of similarities between sneakers and, and trading cards, particularly sneakers back in like 2013, 2014 when we were starting StockX um, and trading cards right now, because it's the same people, right? Like we talked about the fact that, you know, we, we grew up with, with Jordans and, and have this sort of same story as all sneakerheads. But we all, like, I also have the exact same story as every 43-year-old getting back into trading cards right now, which is like, we all grew up collecting cards. We grew up, trading cards weren't cool anymore. We all left our cards in our parents' basements for the last 25 years. And now we're all rediscovering those cards. We all have more disposable income to go buy that Michael Jordan rookie you couldn't have buy, you couldn't afford when we were 12. I mean, in 2013, I would get hit up every day from friends saying, hey, man, can you help me find those, those Jordans we used to wear in high school? And now it's, hey, can you help me find Jordan rookies? So it's like, it's the same people. And the product is just, you know, a little bit later because it, it's slightly different because trading cards are more true investable assets uh, and good long-term investments as opposed to sneakers, which are more fashion and consumer good. But like that similarity between those two is the really interesting thing and like sneakers and like I almost say like trading cards are, are the the new sneakers for a lot of those reasons. And I think what you're seeing already is the convergence of that sneakerhead population into the trading card world. And kind of the last point I'll, I'll make on this is I was at a trading card uh, show, like a convention three months ago in Dallas. The people there, I might as well have been at, at SneakerCon. I might as well have been at a sneaker show. Like it was the same people, it was the same kids you walk around like in 2019, I went to a card show. I was the only one, because I walk around and look at everyone's shoes. I was the only one wearing Jordans. And there, there was literally at the show in Dallas three months ago, there were tables of people selling sneakers. They weren't even selling cards. They were selling sneakers and this whole thing. So we've seen this convergence between like sneakerhead culture and trading card culture as trading cards are cool again. You know, it's cards of those athletes. So it's Jordan and, and LeBron and, and all the things. So that ecosystem is, is kind of the like segue into the, whatever the next 10 years of, of this are as sneakerhead culture blends into to trading card culture. And I know there's crossover with a lot of other subcultures as well that we've already mentioned. Exactly. Amazing. I just have one more question for you, which is you recently left StockX. So what is next for you? Do you know yet? I mentioned we're, we're starting. Uh, I left it to create more businesses in trading cards. The, the primary business we've not launched yet. But there's been a couple other things. We created the equivalent of a financial services management company. Like we have sneaker funds, almost like a mutual fund for trading cards, where uh, we raise money, we buy cards, and you'd get a monthly statement like a Vanguard mutual fund telling you the, the value of your trading card portfolio. So there's a, a financial services company around trading cards. And we're not the only one, by the way. There's, there's other people that have created funds and created financial services products around trading cards. So that's one. Another one is literally my personal collection has become a business just because of, of how big and how much I believe in, in the market as well. So those are the two kind of smaller ones. And then, you know, hopefully in the next couple months, we get to launch in the next big startup, or at least my next big startup and go there. But um, I think that this is the kind of the, the future of this e economy where, you know, sneakers, as much as I love them, are not good long-term investments. And trading cards are. And I think everything else, there's a ton of similarities. And so that's why I'm, I'm sort of so interested in trading cards. Cool. All right. Lindsay, did you have anything else? The only other thing is I feel like there's a lot of synergy between like hats and sneakers. 
Is it just that hats are overproduced? Is that why there's not really a big market around that? You can always get like whatever kind of hat you want pretty easily. So that that's a good I think, insight to the, the state of that industry. There are people that are trying to change that though. I don't know how successful they've been, but there are companies that are starting to use the sneaker model of creating, whether it's customizing or, or just designing limited hats that they're trying to sell for more money and create more of that dynamic that we've seen in sneakers. People are trying it. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know how successful it is, but historically, there hasn't been that disconnect between supply and demand. And that's what creates the value and the hype. If, if there's a product that any, you can walk into a store at any time and, and buy it, yeah. you're not going to have a resale premium. You're not going to have you know, a different level of value ascribed to it because it's not scarce. And so people are moving in that way. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me and for not making me wear a suit at, at uh, <laughs> so early in the morning. Over here. You still look beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that was cool. And I do think I'm going to become more of a sneakerhead, Allie. So just get ready for that part of my personality. I support you. Lindsay, how many pairs of sneakers do you currently own? Interesting pairs of sneakers or just literal shoes that are sneakers? Both. Okay. I think I own five pairs of interesting sneakers. I have pink Nike high tops. I have these green, red, and yellow Nike high tops. I have a pair of Kyrie threes and I have, oh, maybe that's it. Those are the three most interesting pairs of sneakers I have. And then I have like six other pairs of sneakers. (laughs) Honestly, that feels like a normal, respectable amount. Yeah. I mean, back when I was playing dodgeball a lot, I, I had a lot of sneakers. You mean like in the before times? In the before times, yeah. Yeah. Before the pandemic and before I was old. (laughs) Wait, are you not going to go back to lots of dodgeball? I feel like you're a dodgeball queen. I know. You heard it here first. Your girl is retiring. Really? (laughs) That was like your intro to the podcast only a mere like month ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I still did play in the dodgeball World Cup twice. That's that's not not going to be the case. Why are you retiring from the sport? It's been very nice for having my shoulders and my fingers all just feel great all the time. Mm, does this mean I can't convince you to come climbing with me? Uh, we can go climbing. It's yeah. fine. I okay. mean, and I'm not going to avoid dodgeball. Like, I'll sub or whatever. I'm just not going to be <laughs> traveling to play in, in national tournaments anytime mm, ever okay. again. But what about the Olympics? Well, there's, dodgeball is not an <laughs> Olympic sport yet. And it won't be before I'm definitely too old to play. <laughs> Honestly, it shouldn't be a, an Olympic sport because that does actually feel dangerous. Just like Olympians pelting balls at each other. Allie, there is foam. There's foam dodgeballs. You won't even get a concussion. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind. I take it back. Okay, yeah, Lindsay. People, people fly down mountains on two planks of wood. Yeah, every in single the sport. In the Winter Olympics, except for curling, can kill you. Yeah. If if you fall while speed skating, it's like being thrown from a moving car with samurai swords strapped <laughs> to your body. It's not <laughs> insane. 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 Two samurai swords. Two. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Apollo Ono sliced through his quad, which no. is oh. literally the size of an infant, uh, and I was like, uh, yikes! Never happening. That is so gross. But I wanted to ask you a different question, Lindsay. I wanted to know, are there any other things 
past or present that you have collected? Oh, there. Okay. You want to know the very first thing I ever collected was get ready. I'm ready. Lion King trading cards. Oh, <laughs> nice. that's cute. Yep. It was okay. my first favorite movie. I saw it multiple, multiple times in the theaters. I think I saw it maybe four or five times in the theater. Like anybody would come to my parents' house and I'd be like, you want to watch Lion King? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. I like I was how you like just very... did that as like a sexy adult, but it's like, it's like fifth grade Girl. Lindsay. <laughs> She's trying to be sneaky, like, like maybe you haven't seen it, or maybe you think I haven't seen it. Like, oh, you know, I think we Did could you, like, watch cry The Lion King. at Mufasa's death every time, pretending it was your first time? All your friends spoilers, are like, yeah, we saw, we saw Lion King together, and then you're at a party, and all your friends realize they all saw Lion King with you. <laughs> I have two right? very important follow-up questions for Lindsay. One, these trading cards, was it some sort of game, or was it just, like, collect your favorite characters? And two, thoughts on the live action Lion King. Okay. Well, let's start with two. We don't need to talk about it. Number yeah. one, I had, um, <laughs> the, the best it's, part it's of live I, yeah, action Lion King is black is King. That is the one we need to watch. like forget <laughs> have, yes. about live action Lion King and just watch black is King on repeat for a year. Like I did. Yeah. Um, but no, the trading cards, it was basically just like collecting trading cards yep. and uh, there were like different characters. I had a whole booklet that I would slide the cards into, man. I wonder where that is. My mom probably threw that shit out as soon as I went mm. to college, <laughs> but I had it for a long time. The next thing I collected, like I collected a lot of memorabilia around, I think it was the 94, 96 women's world cup team with Mia Ham. I was very obsessed with that team. Okay. Yeah. What okay. about you? Do you collect anything? Nope. Just wanted to ask you about it. <laughs> Never not once? Ah, <laughs> uh, probably something. But I was just thinking, you know, the listeners are still getting to know you. They already know my life story. But there you um go. I had a lot of costumes by the time I left New York. But I, I don't know that I've ever <laughs> collected anything really, you know. That's more like amassing. You amassed a bunch mm -hmm. of costumes as yeah. have I, which through, is through, why we're through your work. I'm amassing succulents, but you know, I don't know oh. that there's like a collection. Right, because yeah. collecting implies like this has searching value, and I'm searching yeah. for specific things that I'm gonna. Hang yeah, yeah. It's it feels a little different than like I like plants in my house, and I'm gonna decorate my house with nice plants. You know, that's, right. that feels different yeah. somehow. Yeah, Matt, have you ever collected anything? Video game consoles and cartridges oh, the, yeah, and PC games, uh, mm. and it, it is not really like, oh, I'm going to make an investment or this is super valuable. It's just like if I'm at a flea market and there's a nice looking Nintendo and I don't have that yet, then I will be like, cool, I'm going to I have a, a little shelf in the basement where I can put everything on there. And uh, it, it is just nice. I like to look at and enjoy and remember those things, but it is not a hardcore collecting thing. My wife, however, is extraordinarily knowledgeable and, and I would say fairly hardcore into mid-century housewares, uh, kitchenwares, like bowl, especially bowls, glassware, and ceramics, because she just enjoys it. But also, there is an entire community of very hardcore, like, Pyrex and Jadeite collectors who say, who are like, I went to an estate sale and I bought this bowl for $2 because the owner didn't know what it was. And I can now sell it on eBay for $800. And it's a whole wow, wow, thing. Wow. And she is 
hardcore into it and loves it. Nice. And it's, it's cool. We have a lot of nice bowls around the house. <laughs> so do I. I was trying to imply that I had a lot of weed bowls and, and I, I immediately and I, didn't no, know I how see, to go into but it. Honestly, as soon as you said it, that's where I went. But maybe because you and I got high outside of the Amundsen before seeing a <laughs> Don't tell anybody that's illegal. My parents will be so disappointed. I'm serious. <laughs> they do listen. Your parents do listen no, no, regularly. No, 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 they no, no. no they Lindsay, don't. My parents Lindsay, don't know about this podcast. As long as, you, <laughs> as long as you don't do my parents do, and I don't think they've ever listened. I, I think as long as you don't do it outside of California, you're good. It's legal. You know, we didn't have a bowl outside of the Amundsen Fair listeners. Don't I know, think we're out be. here. Like, <laughs> we had a very casual, cool, common collected vape like all normal people. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> anyway, uh, dear listeners, if you collect something wild, we want to know. In fact, we might want to look at that community. You can always tweet at us. I'm at Allie underscore Goldie, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D-I. No, A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I. <laughs> Lindsay? I am the Lindsay Life across all platforms. T-H-E-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-I-F-E. And, you know, Allie, I think we might should, if, if any listeners collect or collected Beanie Babies, we should find them and see what's going on with them. Like, are you okay? So <laughs> it's just such a weird thing to well I shouldn't say weird but like to even want that many in your house I have one that my friend got for me as a joke years ago but that's about it mm-hmm. I should go look it up see how much it's worth the, the big thing I'm suspect of is mm-hmm. like when companies are like we're making this stuff and we're making it in limited quantities and it's going to be worth something one day says so the company silly. who wants you, you right. to buy that's, that's, that's <laughs> how i felt even like in middle and high school everyone's like beady babies are gonna be worth so much i'm exactly. like says who says <laughs> who marketing. wants these ever and that's bullshit but then <laughs> but, but then the flip side <laughs> yeah well but it, i mean it worked for the company of course everyone bought into that bullshit but like when companies just make stuff for making stuff, but for some reason it becomes scarce. Guys, the NFTs of this podcast are going to be worth so much. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But like, as we talked to uh, Chris Torres, like the creator of Niancad, and why is that NFT valuable? Because it means something to people. It wasn't a corporation being like, this is the greatest thing. It is a cool thing that he never monetized that everyone in the world loves. Now someone can own its its ownership and that is i I still think that's valuable it's it's strange to me but he in particular like kind of deserves that i think if you created something that then was shared worldwide i don't know make some money off of it by contrast sorry by contrast the nba is selling digital trading cards as nfts and people are paying lots of money for the and and again that is a corporation saying this is important and it's like "Mm." Who says it's important? So that's right. that feels shadier as on the opposed, NFT scale. As opposed to it coming from the people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can also leave us a voicemail. And that number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6 Oh my God, that voicemail professing her love for Lindsay was really just heartwarming. Mm. Um, I mean, I think about it every day. Yeah, so tell us how much you love Lindsay and don't forget to apply to date us. (laughs) Put in your applications. 
You can also email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. Please, 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 if you enjoy this podcast, if you've been a longtime listener, visit patreon.com slash 2G1P. Um, you know, I know we've, we seem like maybe we're a large operation. We're really not. <laughs> and so if <laughs> listeners could support us, even a dollar is really helpful. So that's patreon.com slash 2G1P. Please check it out. If you'd like to mail us sneakers. I am a seven and a half. So I'm an eight. <laughs> yeah. So anywho, yeah, you could, you, you know, email us and then we'll, we'll sort that out. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. So cool, cool, I'm cool, not cool, kidding. cool. I will wear them and I will send you pictures of me wearing them every time I wear them. She will send you pictures only of her feet. <laughs> <laughs> what fans. could go wrong? Slash. <laughs> Have your cake and feet it too. <laughs> need to upload some content. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> All right, friends. We'll see you next time. Bye. Two Girls, One Podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Then listed on eBay as non-fungible footwear. I mean produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.